Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt. I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson, and we're back. Uh, this is episode 69. Today, we are talking about, we're kind of doing something different. Uh, we're going to do a review of a review of yeah. a documentary called What is a Woman? Uh, the documentary... What is a Woman by Matt Walsh. Um, he is a political commentator for the Daily Wire. Uh, he This is probably one of the biggest documentaries of the of the year. A lot of people know about it. And um, he kind yeah. of explores um, the question of what is a woman. And, um, and so there's a guy who has a podcast. His name is... Uh, Preston name Sprinkle. Is Preston Sprinkle. His podcast called Theology in the Raw. And he did a review of the documentary what is a woman and um nick do you want to tell people a little bit about preston sprinkle who he is and his background and, and why we decided to do to do a podcast on this yeah um so, so yeah so uh, matt walsh who did this uh did this documentary i think of it kind of as a mockumentary but like in some ways it was, i think it was meant to be a documentary that is mocking mm-hmm. which i guess the genre is confused but yeah. he was like here at the uw campus just like last week right? I know. yeah 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 so he's been going around and um anyway so preston sprinkle is a guy i want to say he was a professor at one of the california bible colleges and so he has an earned phd he in biblical studies and he got really interested in um what to do with the sexuality questions relative to lgbtq stuff right and so he dove in and was wondering whether or not he should become affirming as a christian hmm theologian. And as he worked through the different questions and talked to people and talked to other theologians and tried to like really, really focus on this, he came to the decision that the answer was no, that the biblical teaching on sexuality was not only clear, but it also wasn't, um, wasn't elective. Like it was mandatory that like sexual ethics in the Christian scriptures are everywhere and they are definitive and they are clear and they are comprehensive and they are, and it's, it's like, if you don't, follow them it's like you probably don't believe you're probably not really a believer now that doesn't mean you can't fail there's Mm -hmm. a lot of sexual failure in the new testament where the apostles like recognize people do things that are wrong sexually Mm -hmm. but that's different than not accepting the sexual ethic and pursuing it yeah right and so the lgbtq repentance right 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 so lgbtq ideology is we should reject the Christian sexual ethic. That is the scriptures and what they Mm -hmm. teach. That's very different than rejecting a person who has sexually failed. That happens in my church all the time. Mm -hmm. I have lots of counseling sessions with people who do things they shouldn't be doing sexually. They're sorry. They don't know why they did it. They're concerned. They're asking for help. And I don't like shun those people. I mean, just in the last couple of weeks, I've sat down with people who were struggling with gender issues, a woman who got pregnant from a a one night hookup that she did because she was like emotionally distraught and she doesn't know why she keeps doing this. And you know, like, I mean, that stuff happens all the time in the church. And our goal is to help people in a relationship of care. That's very different than saying the Bible is wrong about yeah. sexuality, we should reject it. And so Sprinkle came to the decision that we shouldn't reject the biblical teaching, that it was truthful, it was correct, it was what God was saying through the Christian scriptures and in our faith. So then the question was, well, then how do we love gay people mm-hmm. if we aren't going to change our sexual ethic? Mm-hmm. So P- Sprinkle, and so he like went and did like hundreds and hundreds of hours of interviews where he just sat and talked with gay people. 
just hours, listened to their story, listened to their background in the church, surveyed them. And he found out some like really interesting things. Like, for example, like 75% of gay people said that they would come to church if they felt like they would be safe and the church didn't have to change their theology. Right. Which was most Christians don't believe that they think that like 2% of gay people would come to church if and that they'll only come to church if the church changes its theology. Sprinkle found out from interviewing non-Christian gay people that wasn't true at all. Right? Do you think do you think do you believe that? I mean, I like, think that you, I think that the people that he questioned think that. Yeah, yes. Think they think they think that. that right. I mean, obviously in a question like that, there's a lot of work being done by the word safe. Right. Like what, what does right. it mean to feel safe or to be safe? Does right. it mean nobody says anything that bothers you or does it mean you're afraid someone's going to hurt you or, or profoundly personally attack you and humiliate you publicly? Yeah. Right. And I think Sprinkle meant the latter of those two. Right. Do you think, mm-hmm. do, you, do you, are you feel for your well-being? But like, listen, LGBTQ people often have what you and I would consider completely irrational fears about churches, Republicans, <laughs> Christians, not that those, I'm, of course, those three things are all the same thing. But like, I know a guy whose whose daughter is um, is transitioned um, trans, like a female to male. And this person hasn't come to visit this person's father hmm. because I'm going to say she because that's her her. I'm referring to her sex, right? Because she is afraid people will kill her. Now, this is Madison, okay? Yeah. This person is coming from like the gayest part of Seattle. Right. And so, but this person was like, I, yeah, I can't, I'm, I just feel too unsafe. I, I'm afraid. So I'm going to be a victim of violence because they read a story somewhere that like somebody gay got hurt by someone, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and this person's like, I can't possibly come visit you. And this is Madison. This is like gay, like this is the affirmation of the Mecca. Midwest. Oh yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, like, like I know, like I personally know because of how battled I am that it's crazy to think that. But right. like, you know, it's one thing to say, I mean, and this is what Sprinkle gets to at the end of his podcast where he's like, if you think of the metaphor of your emotions being the elephant and your rational mind being the person riding the elephant, like you have to address the elephant, not just the man riding the elephant. Like you have to, you have to address people's emotions as emotions. Mm-hmm. That's one of the areas where Preston Sprinkle really wants to come alongside people and mirror their emotions. Hoping to draw them in persuasion. And Matt Walsh is trying to do the opposite. He's trying to fight people's fear and emotions of cowardice and stir them up to something that he would consider courage to move forward. And so Sprinkle and Walsh have literally opposite procedures, but they believe very similar things, I think. Right. And And that's that's an interesting deal to watch. What is a woman? And then listen to Preston Sprinkle's podcast on it. Because it's like, he started the first 20 minutes. He's like, I agree with Matt Walsh. Mm Mm-hmm. But he's what he. One of the things that Sprinkle does, I think, is helpful. And the one of the things that I try to do this all the time is to distinguish between the gay rights and LGBTQ activist movements and their public personas and LGBTQ identifying people. Mm-hmm. Because about half to two thirds of the LGBTQ identifying people that I know are embarrassed by the LGBTQ advocacy movement. Mm-hmm. They don't like it. They don't agree with it. It makes them feel uncomfortable. It makes them believe they're more unsafe, that people dislike them in ways they, do, they don't need to, that it makes people reactionary against LGBTQ people rather than more open to them, that it actually – like even though it wins public rights, it hurts public perception. 
and they just frankly disagree. Like most of the, most of the trans people I know do not think 16 year olds should be transitioning hmm. or that kids that are like seven or eight years old should be able to pick their genders and pronouns. Most of the trans people I know don't think that. Mm-hmm. They think that's bad. So in that sense, there's like a huge differential between the advocacy movement and the people. And Preston Sprinkle is so focused on that because he mm-hmm. wants the church to reach those people and sure. not to adopt a rhetoric that will drive those people out of the churches. That's his like yeah. his heart. Yeah. And I, and I, I appreciate I, that about him, you know? Yeah, I think it's a good heart. I, I think that ultimately what this is this review or our podcast will come down to is what approach do you take to this conversation and to this issue, the transgender issue and to the transgender conversation? Because I mean, as people can probably guess, I thought that, uh, Preston, right. I can't keep forgetting. Yeah. Preston Sprinkle. Yeah. Preston's approach. I thought it was horrible and I thought it was destructive. And I I, I like, I like Matt Walsh's approach a little better. I don't, I don't, I don't think his approach is like, the ultimate approach or should be the ultimate goal. But I think that he was much closer to that than, than Preston is. And I think that this is where this will be an interesting conversation because um, as I listen through it, uh, <laughs> Preston's podcast, I get, I was, you know, I started out really good. And then at the end of it, I was just fuming. I was just pissed off. And I like went out and I was like, Andrew, I'm fired up right now. Like we're doing a podcast. So I, I think, I think that's what it's going to come down to is is which what do people think is the best approach to this yeah. this issue? I mean, with with the under, I mean, I think obviously, like you said, both Matt and and um, and Preston both agree on the underlying truths that hey, like a woman is an adult human female, uh, transgenderism is is uh, I, I I know that Matt Walsh thinks that it's transgenderism and and gay marriage and some of these things are not biblical they don't align with with biblical uh, sexual ethics and so um the the main question yeah the main question is going to be what's what's our approach to this and so um we'll we'll get into yeah that. so okay so just to be clear so most people know uh what is a woman is a documentary by matt matt walsh and it's on the daily wire website and you have to like sign up for a membership to watch it it's behind the paywall but yeah. you can sign up for a free membership i think for seven days and then stop it yeah, oh, I mean, really? like, I, I think I stopped my huh. Daily Wire. Like, I, I, you know, like, what what we're trying to do with these subscriptions is turn them on for, like, a month. Watch the four mm-hmm. things that we want to see on these. Because, like, when I was in the hospital with Jude this last week, I was done with the yeah. Amazon Prime in about three hours. Like, I, I yeah. mean, like, the, the new, the new, like, Navy SEAL miniseries with, like, eight episodes with, what's his name from? Chris yeah, Pratt. With Chris Pratt. I really yeah. liked that. I thought it was yeah. great. Oh, I didn't, I didn't oh, watch it. I, I thought Chris it was great. Though. It had a nice ending twist. It had a number of cool characters in it. It was diverse in like yeah. all the good ways. Like it had this diversity in it, but mm-hmm. it was like all super believable because it was the military. And so it wasn't like they just mm-hmm. put people in there for no reason. And, um, and it had yeah. some like cool diversity moments where like people were affected by their backgrounds in like positive ways. Um, not just negative ones. Yeah. So anyway, I really like that. But like for the most part, like yeah. other than watching episodes of Psych again or like Burn Notice, like I, there was nothing on there I wanted to watch. Right? You didn't. What about Lord of the Rings? Was we there, did right? watch did that watch together that? as a family, and we could maybe talk about that yeah. another time. But I was like, yeah, whatever. I get past the third episode. Yeah. yeah. I mean, on not. one on one level, it actually follows the unfinished tale storyline pretty well. 
Um, and Galadriel, it, it does. There are a couple of stories of Galadriel that make it sound like she does fight in battles a couple of times. Mm-hmm. So her being a warrior is not totally contrived. The level that she's like the leader of the Northern armies, that's totally contrived, but that she, and like her fighting scenes, like when yeah. she, did you, did you watch those? She looked ridiculous. Like it looked like me and my friends are in the basement doing a fighting scene. Like she would like hit somebody and they would like fall back. Did you like the acting was yeah. sometimes pretty. Yeah. I'm trying not to hate on it too much. Cause like, cause like yeah. when people say it's going to be so woke, it's going to be so woke. Everybody's going to hate it. No. And I was like, I, this isn't yeah. that woke. Like it's going to be, it's going to no, be a little woke. Yeah. And but part of it too is, is like right. in Tolkien's writings, Norsemanship, like the tall, white, gray eyed person of uh, quote men of the West was supposed to signify a moral goodness. And in that narrative, it was rooted in his description of an ethnicity. Now, it wasn't the only ethnicity that was good, right? The elves were good and the dwarves could be. So like it was there were it was more than that. But there was a archetypal ethnicity that he glorified because it was associated with a certain set of Mm -hmm. beliefs and styles of life and bravery. Mm -hmm. And, and like that Mm -hmm. just doesn't, I don't think it was wrong or racist, but it doesn't translate now. Right. Right. The whole cold culture, hot culture dynamic that was culturally kind of like in the ethos of that writing. So anyway, so the fact that they were going to diversify that had to happen. There's no way around that. So anyway, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, my issues with it were, were not about the wokeness or whatever that people talked about. It was more just I just thought it was boring, the whole thing. Yeah, I thought it was relatively – I thought it was relatively boring. I thought the introduction of the other characters like the elf being in love with the semi-witchy sort of like healing woman, mm-hmm. whatever. And then mm-hmm. some of the choices tactically there or just weren't smart. Right. And there's stuff like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and it was a billion dollars. It's just like g- give me a billion dollars and let me. Yeah, I mean, other than the shows, under, other than the booby scenes, um, what was that one that was like one of the? It was, uh, it was like Marco Polo. I think it was Marco Polo that Netflix did some years ago, and it was like it was like ten million dollars uh-huh. an episode or twelve million dollars an episode. It was like a lot of money, but it was yeah. like you know it was a pretty good mini series, and it didn't make it. They didn't redo yeah. it. You know, they didn't reput it out. So we'll have to see what they do with this. Yeah. I don't know. So it right. was a billion dollars yeah. just for the episodes we've we've now seen. Not for like the yeah eight eight hundred ninety million something like that yeah that yeah. seems it seems it, like they overpaid it, it, for their CGI yeah yeah and it like I don't know what that means then for the future of the Lord of the Rings yeah. because if they just drop that much money I'm I'm sure they're not making that back there's no way maybe they are I don't know but like I'm sure they're not getting a return on it and if that's the case then does that mean like the entire that the series is going to like not they're not going to produce as much content in the future yeah, I, don't, I don't know i don't know i mean i don't know putting like throwing a bunch of money into the black hole that is yeah amazon's version of i know of lord of the rings i don't know yeah, man. i don't know it's it is interesting to see what they're doing with like new content and stuff yeah and to see like netflix yeah. is th- anyway we're this is a different topic but yeah but netflix did buy uh chronicles of narnia oh we'll have to see so we'll see what happens there. But yeah, we can get back yeah, to this. So, okay, so, so Matt Walsh did that documentary. And then it, Preston Sprinkle's podcast is called Theology in the Raw, R-A-W. And the episode is a ways yeah. back now. So it's episode number 985. You've got to actually scroll back a little ways mm-hmm. to get this. He just he just highlighted yeah. it again in his, in his email newsletter because people have been asking, what do you think about it more and more? And they want to know what he thought because Preston Sprinkle's a pretty thoughtful guy. 
And so mm-hmm. he did that episode. So it's episode 985. Yeah. yeah. So I think you and I agree that the first maybe half of it was pretty good. Yeah. Like pretty straightforward. Yeah. So like Sprinkle was basic. like, yeah, I agree with Matt Walsh. I mean, um, uh, a woman is an adult human female. I agree with that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. We are a uh, like a a species that is in two sexes. That's true. Yeah. So he affirmed all right. the like stuff, and he also said that he thought that the gender ideology that he was trying to expose does exist, is um, influential uh, in our public life, and deserved what it got. So in that sense, he was very much pro that part too. So I think the part that you and I maybe need to discuss a little bit more is when he said, when he kind of like began to equivocate towards the end and say, like, I'm concerned about the tone relative to trans people. But I think like, I think what he was saying was, what is a woman as a documentary is good so far as it goes. If you know what it is and what it's trying to do in what context it is good for that. I, I also want to say something that I've noticed a lot that we'll, that maybe we can start with because I, I think his his and I found this with a lot of millennial style people, the people who have the millennial temperance, who have the millennial tone, who have the millennial mindset, the very non-confrontational, very open to new things and like let's all be nice and kind and all that stuff. They, I found when we're talking to them about art and, and like about documentaries and movies and music, they will read their own belief systems into a documentary or movie. So for instance, for in, in this, I felt like some of the comments he made about like, Hey, like Matt Walsh, he didn't give any examples of, of any trans people who are scientifically sound and have transitioned and lived happy lives. Oh, like that wasn't the point of the documentary. That wasn't what Matt Walsh was even trying to do. So I don't think that that's a critique that needs to be said. And I think that you're just, I think one thing that he did, I felt like he did this a lot of times throughout the podcast was he would, he basically without saying it was saying like, here's what Matt Walsh should have done. And he didn't do this. And that's why I thought that this documentary missed some stuff here, like missed some points, but like, his main point and Matt Walsh's main point are different. Yep. And if you're going to objectively critique Matt Walsh's documentary, then critique Matt Walsh's documentary. Mm-hmm. Don't critique what you want Matt Walsh's documentary to be. Yeah. If you want to make a documentary, go make a documentary. But yeah. I, th- I, th- I sometimes I, I see this with I'm, I'm, I'm critiquing millennials, younger people, my age too. They will be frustrated about a movie or a documentary for reasons that don't even have anything to do with the movie or the documentary. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like, what are you critiquing here, man? Cause his goal wasn't to, to find, um, to find regular everyday uh, transgender people who, who maybe are scientifically sound or have happy lives. His goal is to expose some of the crazy hypocrisy um, that's happening at the high level, high levels in academia and in, in the medical professions. And I think that starting Trying to start when you're watching a documentary or a movie or looking at any sort of art, trying to start as objectively as you can is probably the best place to start. Not to just start to implement your own preconceptions in there and your own ideas and what you think to do. 
that's not a good place okay. to start because then you're not happy. That's funny, Andy, because the God. thing that you disliked about the podcast, I think, was the thing I liked most about it, which was I, I, I thought Preston was going to do, having been to one of his seminars, I thought that the In Praise of Matt Walsh's documentary was going to be much shorter. And then there was going to be a lot of, really? here's what I'm concerned about. Here's what I'm, I was actually really hmm. pleasantly surprised that he spent like 28 minutes or whatever being like, no, this is good stuff, man. This is real. This is the stuff he said. And they, you know, like, I thought that was yeah. great. I think, I think one of the things that, okay, so here's the things that really frustrates me about academia, right? There's a particular ethicist guy that I have been in conversation with who's a Christian and is getting a PhD in philosophy. And I'm like, listen, you say all this stuff, like as a quote professor, but you take no responsibility yeah. for how it's heard and what the people who hear it that way then go and do with it. And I think that's right. And, and it's like, I really get upset. And so I think that that's true about professors. I also think it's true about people who create media like us and on a larger yeah. scale, like Preston and on a larger scale, like Matt Walsh, it's like, what's yeah. going to happen when people yeah. watch this documentary and then yeah. what are they going to do with what happens to them when they watch it? Mm-hmm. And as a shepherd, you, you got to care about that. Right. And so I think Matt, are they shepherds? So I think you I are. Am, yeah. I think Matt Walsh is, is I think what Matt Walsh is not Matt Walsh. I think what Preston Sprinkle is doing, he would consider a ministry. I think what okay. Matt Walsh is doing. I don't know exactly what he would call it. I think he's trying to be a firebrand, which I think he believes will be a service that is a ministry in that sense. Yeah. But I don't think he sees himself as shepherding people. I think he sees himself as as yeah. fighting institutional powers and structures in our culture. Yeah. So I think Walsh is trying to do yeah. is trying to fight a culture war, frankly. And I don't yeah. I don't think it's a pejorative to call somebody a culture warrior. I think there need to be culture warriors. I think some people need to be like this yeah. is culturally bad. Right. And then I think there need yeah. to be pastors and people who want to shepherd people. And I think in the, when it comes to LGBTQ right. stuff and people, I do think that reaching LGBTQ people is 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 a very different tactic than pushing back on LGBTQ ideologies that are controlled by yeah. like um by elitists in our culture who control a lot of power, right. um, be- have a lot of influence. Yeah, because that because they get yeah. to quote speak for BIPOC LGBT like everybody who's like yeah. not a white man. That, you know, right? That's my that's my exact point. Is that and like Walsh wasn't making a, a documentary about how to reach trans right. people for the gospel. Right. Or I totally for, agree. For change, and he his his was and, and I and. His the reason why the documentary I think was so great and why it resonated with so many people. I think even like Elon Musk tweeted about it or something like that. Like a lot of people watched it and and really liked it. Joe Rogan has talked about it. Is because he set out to expose the elitists, and what he did was he exposed the elitists, and he did it in a very, I think he did it in a great mm-hmm. way. And I I think that this is this is why this is hard for me to like review this review because I think that Preston's entire review was not really built around trying to look at what Matt Walsh was trying to do and maybe saying, okay, if this was his goal, then I would do this different or do this different. I felt like Preston was just saying, that's just not how we should be talking about this at all. After 20 minutes, because at the 20 minute mark, he said, let's, uh, uh, he kind of was like, okay, I need to be like really careful about how I say this and stuff like that. And he started to get more into the, like, I think he started to go from, uh, like you said, kind of saying the things that he agreed with in the documentary to, okay, 
now I'm trying to reach transgender people yeah. or here's the mindset between reaching transgender people. And so the last like 25 minutes was, was that. Yes. So, so the way know. I interpret that Andy and I, is that what he's trying to do is to say, okay, if Matt Walsh makes a documentary and then Jennifer Jordan, who's a conservative Christian and maybe a Republican because she has a daily wire subscription watches it. Mm-hmm. What happens to Jennifer Jordan and how does Jennifer Jordan start behaving, talking, and so on? And I think at that point of the interview, he's turned to her. He's turned away from Matt and what Matt was doing. And yes. he's turned to her. Right. Because it is true a lot of conservative yeah. Christians are going to hear that. And they're going to be emboldened <sighs> with this like, this whole trans thing is nuts. Yeah. And then they're going to start yeah. saying writing crap on Facebook and saying stuff in meetings right. and doing yeah. things. Yep. That's going to be yeah. like unnecessarily yep. acidic. And then that's really going to hurt yeah. us. In the long run, right. because they're going to fulfill all the negative stereotypes that make, quote, trans people feel unsafe. And then right. those stories are going to get marshaled against people who are trying to get some yeah. sanity. Yeah. And so Sprinkle's trying to yes. say, OK, listen, there are some trans people that are actually using science. There are, there are some trans people who did transition and they don't regret it. Right. And there are a lot of trans people that did that transition and regret it. And he's like, can, can, can we clarify real quick of what you mean by science? Because I yeah. think. Uh, one thing I had written down here was that, like, I, I, I don't think there's such a thing as a scientifically sound trans person, specifically in the area of gender and sex. If we're talking about the scientific method, you can't believe in tra- that transgender, like that's a man is a woman or a woman is a man, and be scientifically sound. That's a that is impossible. Using the scientific method, yes. you're going to reach a point at some point where you say. Okay, I'm wrong. My my hypothesis is wrong. I need to reevaluate. And what the transgender uh, elitists are doing is ignoring the di- the objective differences between men and women, and that they will find using the scientific method, and just kind of skipping that part of the of of scientific research, and then putting out a an objective statement that is scientifically untrue. Right. And I think that that. That I, yeah. I know, okay. I, so, I so let's, let's be clear what we mean by science here so that we're not equivocating using the same word with different definitions, right? Yeah. Okay. So on one level, what yeah. you're saying is it is a scientific question as to whether or not a human male can become a human female. And the answer is scientifically, yeah. at least at this point, a human male cannot become a human female. Okay. Yes. All right. Fair enough. Okay. I think, I think that's true. Okay. Then secondly, there is the social science of gender roles and gender expression. And can someone, um, present their sex in a different way and participate in gender roles and gender expression that is the opposite of their physical sex, but is a way that they feel a lot more comfortable in the gender role and gender expression. The answer is yes, that can happen. Whether or not that you should do that, whether or not that's good, that can happen, right? That's scientifically quote true Mm -hmm. in that social science sense. Now, thirdly is the therapeutic or medical sense, which is medically, Mm -hmm. what can we actually do for people physically through medical interventions that actually work. Now, there's some science and anti-science there too, right? Like what does testosterone do to people over long-term? What is the effect of a double mastectomy? Do like do certain drugs like Lupron sterilize children so that if they want to have children later because they transition back or because they want to become a trans man, even though they're a female, but let's say they want to be a trans man who gets pregnant and has a baby because of course, you know, they can be a birthing person, right? But it turns out the Lupron that they took actually sterilized them. So even though they're a trans man, but they want to be a birthing person, 
now they can't get pregnant and they thought they would be able to get pregnant, right? So there's there's certain medical yes yeah. or no's, right? But then there's the, there's the psychological right. and therapeutic yes or no's. What should you tell a six-year-old who is questioning their gender? Yeah. But then also- And what, there's also even that- Just the last sentence. But yeah, then also, what do you tell yeah. a 27-year-old who has been gender dysphoric for their whole life yeah. and who wants to do some right. transitioning- can we tell them that there is some transitioning that they can do? So like, that's a, that's a number yeah. of different quote scientific questions. And I think what Walsh is saying is he's just doing yeah. that first one because he feels like the yeah. other three are getting backloaded into the first one. Yeah. 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 And I was going to say, uh, and I think like the, then, I mean, maybe going a level deeper would be the question behind, um, uh, gender, uh, there. Okay. So one of the assumptions at the beginning of this podcast that felt like wasn't talked about was, was just assumed. Um, I'm talking about Preston's Mm -hmm. podcast, not ours, uh, was the, that, that, that there's a difference between gender and sex, uh, in that and how he talks about it. So he made the three categories that he started with sex, gender roles, and gender expression. And what I believe to be one of the best points made in Walsh's documentary is by Jordan Peterson saying that when you talk about the difference between sex and gender, you're not talk. That's not what you're talking about. You're talking about the difference between temperaments um, and temperaments and personalities and the spectrum that is all these different personalities and types of people. And maybe a man, a man can characterize maybe more, more generally uh, feminine character characteristics like maybe a man is more agreeable now most men are more disagreeable but maybe this one guy is more agreeable does that mean he's a woman no he just has a different personality and i think that preston's underlying assumption there i think it causes a lot of confusion um that that there i when i listen when i think about gender and sex i don't think of any differences Mm -hmm. i think of gender and sex as one as one whole thing and then i think of personalities as a whole spectrum that can be different across all different types of people. So would you say that that's a deeper, that that's something that goes deeper than Walsh's question or sort of, okay. So, okay. So uh, Sprinkle talks about this in the doc, about the documentary where they interview, because Jordan Peterson says that in the documentary, right? They go to Jordan late in the documentary and Sprinkle says some things about how they think they make Jordan Peterson look bad. And I think Jordan Peterson in the last couple of years has made himself look bad because yeah. if you, We've yeah, but he just, he's, he's taken this like more strident tone that feels meaner. And I think that that's yeah. actually hurt him because if you look at his early lectures at university mm-hmm. of Toronto, where he's talking about this stuff, he has a very sympathetic yeah. tone and he's like, it's really, he's like, has like this balance between a hard tone and a sympathetic tone, which is really great and very beautiful. And I feel like in, in these years, he used, he was like a preacher. He's like a good yeah. preacher back yeah. then, you know? So anyway, I, I think yeah. that's Jordan. But I think Jordan's right when he says that a lot of this is temperament and personality and so on. But I do think it's important to recognize that um, temperament and personality correlates with sex fairly highly, which is why we talk about gender. Yeah. So like part of the issue is some social scientists want us to believe that gender roles and gender expression are an entirely cultural construct, right? Somebody could wrongly yeah. take from what you said before – that it's merely a personality expression, but that's not really true either, is it? That's not that's not what you mean. You think that women tend to be like women and men tend to be like men, but what we recognize is that personality and temperament, like, make each gender um, 
display their gender, their gender roles, gender in, in a ray. It's like a range, yeah. and the range between men yeah. and women in their gender expression, gender roles overlaps, and in some they can right? overlap, and sometimes yeah. pretty profoundly, such that like you have even yeah. like heterosexual married couples where the woman does almost all the traditional guy stuff, and the guy does almost all the traditional woman right. stuff. And that's what I have written down here. I, in the in parentheses, I said, um, well, I said, uh, when we don't have a good idea of our own personality, we can get confused. We can get confused, especially with socially constructed, co- constructed mm-hmm. ideas surrounding gender. Yeah. I think that that's, and I'm with the progressives or whatever, when, when talking about some, not totally with them in this, mm-hmm. but in talking about the idea of, um, socially the social construct yeah. that is gender that, that men have to do this and women have to do that or like right. this and like that i think there's some things that are that are true about that men should like this and do this and women shouldn't or should do this and men shouldn't but i think that there's some things that are just you know like stupid things like if you don't you know if you're not into i don't know like certain if you're not into football or whatever you're more feminist something i don't yeah. know like things that i heard in, in i mean high for the school, most like, part the things that i think are morally accentuated in the bible are are related mm-hmm. to reproduction and provision that like mm-hmm. w- because women naturally take a stronger role in early reproduction that yeah. men are required to compensate for that by taking a stronger role in responsibility and provision and what that includes is women have the space to nurture and men have to take the responsibility to lead and then i biblically speaking i think that's about it um the only place where i think that fundamentally expresses itself in the gender roles outside of the church and the um family as far as i can tell in the Mm -hmm. bible is the military the the only other place in the bible where i think it is explicit that men and women have fundamentally different roles is I think that the Bible teaches that it's wrong for women to be in combat, generally speaking, that we shouldn't be looking for women to be infantry soldiers. So I, I actually, I mean, I've done some counseling recently with a woman who's a spy and she can do stuff that guys can't do. And she as a spy. Like, what do you mean a spy for the government or something? I, I really can't say more than that about it, but um, but like that's her job and she's a Christian. And so she's okay. like, yeah. okay, every single circumstance I'm in has all kinds of moral problems. So how yeah. do I behave as a Christian in these ways? Cause I want to follow the Lord. But like, I mean, I have to decide just when to kill yeah. an asset and when to like do this. And like, I mean, it's like, it's still a really tough questions. When to use my, can I, can yeah. I use my sexuality in this way or that way or in this situation or yeah. that situation? Right? How do I repent if yeah. I think I was wrong after doing something that I now think was a sin, even if that includes killing someone? Right? Like, but here's the thing: we can we could not do some of the work that we need to do um, as our government does spy stuff without women doing some of that stuff. Yeah. So there are some exceptional yeah. things where we I think women can serve in that. Of course, there's lots of places in the military infrastructure where women should and can serve and do really great things. Yeah. But I think like the people carrying the rucksacks and shooting the bullets at other people and getting shot and seeing the yeah. blood and facing the difficulty and trauma of war, I think for the most part yeah. is supposed to be men. And I think the Old Testament explicitly says that. And I don't think anything repudiates yeah. it in the New Testament, nor is there any ethic that should. Yeah. So in my in my book, yeah. what men, quote, should do, and when it comes to men who are fighting as soldiers, I think it's a subset of men. I think we should be looking yeah. for men in that upper temperament that is more different from women, generally speaking. Like when we, when we yeah. recruit Navy SEALs, we're not just looking for general men. 
We're looking for men that no, are like the very top yeah. percentile of mas- what we see yeah. traditional masculine type traits, including capacity right. for viciousness and brutality and the yeah. an insensitivity and personality that makes them less susceptible to trauma yeah. and all kinds of stuff like that, right? So anyway, yeah. I think those, I think once you get past those th- those three things, compensatory leadership in the family and the church, allowing women to participate in the child having, rearing, and caring that that takes an enormous amount yeah. of time in a couple or three decades of their life, and then in military service. Outside of that, I think we're There's sorting things out, and I think that yeah. I think tradition is fine. And traditionalism yeah. is fine if both groups really like it, but you can have a pretty. I mean, I, I don't. Have, I don't think egalitarianism is inherently wrong. I do think that there are issues that arise with egalitarianism, like the co-ed workplace yeah. has produced a lot of affairs and broken marriages, for example. It's true, right? I'm yeah. not saying that's women's fault. Yeah. I'm just saying that happens. Yeah, it's a cost. Yeah, I I want to be clear that um, that I think that. Because the conversation around gender um, has become uh, because because uh, a lot of people mistake gender for personality mm-hmm. and all those different types. I'm just using some part of gender for pre yeah. Some part of yeah. What happens, I think, for a lot of young men who might be on the more traditionally feminine side of their of their personality or or, or just who they are. The culture is telling them, hey, you can stay like that and you can be like you can stay like that and you should actually change your sex or become a woman or or whatever. Do something like that. And what the church says, which I think can be really destructive sometimes, is you're not being a man. You need to be different. You need to become like a, like yeah. a stronger man or like right. some of these men will never be that strong man. Right. They need to accept the, the, the masculinity that God gave them. And. Right. Because it, it like, okay, so think, I think the more creative people yeah. generally can be more feminine in, in their temperament and things like that. We, the church needs those people to be able to create new things and to be able to innovate and push and, and try to make sure the church doesn't stay, stay still. Yeah. And yet when we tell those people, hey, no, you got to, you know, you got to grow a pair and you got to be more like this and you got to do this. And I think what you end up doing is basically giving them a free pass into into the other side yeah. the the transgender the just exploring that world and i think that's destructive yeah I, so yeah I so i think you could say it this way briefly like the more you narrow the scope of acceptable masculinity yeah. and femininity the more people you mm-hmm. push outside of acceptability and they need to queer mm-hmm. your category they need, they need to make yeah. it fit themselves and like so if they can't fit your stereotype, then what are they supposed to do? Whereas if you can say right. that, yeah, the swath of masculinity is very broad, right? Mm-hmm. Then then everybody, so many more people can fit. Yeah, my wife has said that like she's in social program now, program now and she hears all this stuff. And she's like, listen, I don't, I don't know if I would have made it through if I was growing up now. She's like, because I was kind of a tomboy. I was like more of a, I've always been more of a masculine woman. And it just really is hard. And I think part of this is like, I remember reading, um, I think it was Stephen Rhodes book, taking sex differences seriously. And he's one of the things that he said in that book was that there's, there's one kind of man and there's two kinds of women because what is strongly determinative is testosterone. And so men have Mm -hmm. testosterone. They don't really have estrogen, but women have both. They have estrogen, progesterone, and a little bit of testosterone. And so like there is this – so he's like – you know, women who strongly identify as feminists are often higher testosterone women. 
they they're women yeah. who like to compete. They're women who want to fight. They're women who want to be the CEO. They're the women who want to be mm-hmm. want to be in charge and tell other people what to do. And like those women feel totally betrayed by the super low testosterone women who like their psychology is just dominated by estrogen and they just want to do girly stuff and they love it. And yeah. like one of my wife's very dear friends is like a no testosterone at all woman. And she is so sweet and so feminine and so froofy. And it's so funny because she has three boys. And then my wife's other dearest friend is like a butt kicking Norwegian woman who like builds her own <laughs> knives and carves and, you know, like, and they're, yeah. and they have a wonderful three woman female friendship and they're all different and they really love each other. And there isn't the sense of like, well, one's more of a woman than the other. They all, yeah. they all are women. Yeah. And they all, yeah. because they all have, they all have, chosen to have i mean i'm not saying you have to choose but like yeah. they chose to accept a proposal of marriage they've been faithful wives they've received fertility yeah. and had children and loved those children right. but then you know, all the idiosyncrasies of being a woman or how you structure your household or how you parent how, like this huge variety and their husband the three husbands right. we three husbands are very different men right yeah. but we like our women yeah. and we work together with our women really well you know yeah yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's coming from somebody who has friends who are on the uh, less masculine, less disagreeable, more. Yeah. I don't know what words. I think to we could maybe just say less macho or less, 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 macho. less yeah. hardened. Maybe is maybe yeah. a word. Yeah. Yeah. It can be infuriating, was what I was yeah. going to say. It can be infuriating and it can be frustrating. But I think the more I've learned is the more I try to force my version of masculinity on somebody mm-hmm. else. Now, that sounded like that was one of the most progressive. If they just cut that clip of me saying my version of masculinity, I'm going to sound like some That's right. crazy professor. Yeah, we can be a, yeah, we can be I know, those right. people. Totally. No, no, no. I, I know. I, there are I ways in which funny, we can do but, that. Um, just be like the version of me that's me. Right. That is my personality, yes. my gender expression, yeah. and my sex and everything. Yeah. And then I think that yeah. you have to be that way because you're my sex. Yeah. Is like it unhelpful. can destroy yeah. people. It can just dest- yeah. You can completely destroy people, and you can you can. And I think I really think it. I don't know if I'd say it's sinful, but I think you're. I think you're destroying God's vision of masculinity and, and the church and all the different types of people in the church working together in a really bad yeah. way. I think you can just yeah. get rid of a whole chunk of people. Right. So in, in one sense, I mean, I think right. Andy Stanley's old language for this is that there's problems to be solved and tensions to be managed, right? One of the tensions to be managed yeah. in human culture is normativity versus huh. diversity, right? Yeah. Like people need a direction. We need some picture of like who we are being together mm-hmm. and that's culture and cultures have to have things that are quote normative or like the way 85% of us are going to have to do this for us to survive. So marriage and family is a, a normative reality, right? Most of us are going to have to get married and have right. children and stay together at least for the lifelong yeah. life of the children and then take care of each other in old age. Otherwise the society can't work. Right. So yeah. like, but that doesn't yeah. mean literally everybody has to get married. Or at a, right. at a certain age right. or have so many children or any of that kind of stuff, right? So there's like a normativity and right. then there's diversity and like all kinds of people doing all kinds of different things. We need that too. And so there's kind mm-hmm. of this tension mm-hmm. between normativity. How should we all mostly be the same? And what do we value together and what are our ethics that we share as the basis yeah. for our diversity? And then how are we diverse and allow for everybody to be themselves? And that tension, right. you can't get rid of it. And sometimes progressives talk like all that matters is diversity. And then – 
like conservatives watch something like Matt Walsh's film and that just causes yeah. them to react and feel like everything has to be about normativity. Yeah. And that's not, yes. that's not helpful. Could complying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I want to make it clear because I, th- I think at some point, so, okay. So, so this documentary, like we said in the beginning, this, this was geared towards, towards the elitists of the world, the academics and the, and the medical professionals and yeah. the, the, well, the, well, psycho- the, the psychologists and geared to cut them down like to that, size, right? right? He wasn't writing it for them. He was writing it for us to no, show that them. they weren't wearing right. any clothes. Right. right. Yes. He, yes. It was, it was to expose these yeah. people. And, and so as it relates to this documentary, I, I do, I do think that, that I, I want to say that Christians. So, so this is where I, I start to really, really disagree with Preston. Okay. Right. That's his name. I keep yeah, Preston. Preston. Yeah. Um, this is where I really start to disagree with Preston. And actually I start to believe that what his his approach to this conversation is is super destructive. Yeah, and so um, uh, I don't. I, I so I've, I have written here that I do not think that this topic deserves the luxury of like quote unquote not offending people. I think Christians need to be blunt and forthright about the topic of transgenderism and stop trying to find common ground with people who are cutting children up. I think when we're talking about the elitist and we're talking about the theorists and we're talking about the medical professionals and the people who are actually engaging in, I'm not talking about the everyday transgender person. I'm talking about the elitist right now. I don't think that this is a conversation that that Christians need to try to be like, oh, we need to be really like, um, we need to be really open to having a conversation. Talking. No, I don't think that that's helpful anymore. I think that you need, <clears throat> I think we need to be forthright and blunt. And this is that's why I appreciate Matt Walsh here um, in this documentary is because his opinions do end up coming out pretty, pretty forthright um, towards the end. And I've listened to other other uh, I listen to him talking other on his podcast and and other things. And uh, I just think that when you start to believe that you can talk about this with the elitist um, and have a conversation about it, you've you've lost already because you can't. There's no conversation to be had, especially with people who are trying to do terrible things to children. And I don't think that that would be Jesus's approach either. So you I don't, don't know think if that's approach, Jesus approach. <laughs> Jesus is no. Yeah, yeah, I don't think he'd be trying to negotiate this with people or, or people who are doing this stuff to kids, um, even parents sometimes. Right. I don't think so. Yeah. So, OK, so let me. Let me engage with that a little bit. Um, so one, I think one of the things Preston Sprinkle want, tried to do in that episode was to say, because he, he did say, when Matt Walsh is talking about the medicalization of young people, I'm with him. Like he, he I mean, he yeah. said, like, I, I can't imagine any situation in which I would be for the medicalization of a 16 year old person. Right. Which I, mm-hmm. I think is good, really good. I think then there's the question of yeah. elite theory, their influence and indoctrination, especially within the academic and secondary and elementary school system. I think that is a huge problem. I think it's unconscionable. And I don't think you can take, I don't think, I think if you like, don't say anything that will hurt the average trans person, if if that becomes your standard of speech, then you can't speak forthrightly enough to actually fight. Right. right. And I, and I agree with you about that. I believe that, and I believe that that's actually a intentional tactic of the LGBTQ advocacy elite. Yeah. That's what they're yeah. intentionally trying to do. 
It's freaking genius. It's so genius. Right. And it works on so right. many they people. Tell, they tell yeah. LGBTQ people that they are so fragile that they're going to kill themselves. They yeah. encourage that sense of fragility. And then they tell LGBTQ mm-hmm. parents and friends that this is a horrible problem. And at any moment, these people are going to kill themselves, which bears out statistically yeah. because LGBTQ identified and trans identified people have much higher attempted suicide rates and successful yeah. suicide rates. In most cases, it's four times the national average for trans people, I think. No, for gay people. And then it's way correct, yeah. more than that for trans people. Okay. So right. that's a real issue, right? Yeah. However, yeah. and then they what they basically say is, is that anything you say about trans ideology or LGBTQ ideology, you are saying to and against every gay person and are therefore like triggering them unto trauma Mm -hmm. and leading them to kill themselves. Mm -hmm. And that creates this catch 22 where you're just not allowed to say anything. Right. And if you accept that, then they just win by default. Right. Right. All you can do is kind of peck around the edges while they eat up everything. Yeah. And Nick, Nick, I was at high point church a year and a half, two years ago. And this is a story. I don't know if I've ever told this. I was surrounded, not surrounded. You were in a circle. <laughs> I was surrounded with people with pitchforks. They were trying yeah. to kill me. No, uh, I, I was. I, I was in a circle with people uh, from from all different. I guess actually not really all different ages. Mostly younger people, millennial, Gen Zers, uh, and we were talking about maybe there was a teacher there, or something like that in the public schools. I can't remember, but we were talking about whether or not. And this was kind of when this whole pronoun things seem to be getting more mainstream and happening in the high schools yeah. and middle schools. And we were talking about at high point church, where's Nick, where Nick and I go to church and Nick is a pastor. Uh, what, what should we do about the pronoun thing? You know, if you're a teacher in school, do you abide by those rules when they say you need to ask them for their pronoun? And the kid, let's say a boy tells you, Hey, call me, she, her, do you do that? And I think I was the only person in that circle of like five or six people that said, no, you don't. Everybody else said, yeah, you should, because it's the quote unquote loving thing to do. Right. And I, I, I've heard this like a thousand times over the last two years. Yeah. People start, people start using the word hospitality with this. Yeah. Yeah. What what, there, that is, that is, that, that, that's kind of, that's kind of to my point of what I'm talking about. You're not playing around with theorists here and with elitists in this situation. You're playing around with children and their, in their minds and their brains and, I like again. I just don't. Jesus didn't screw around when it came to children. You yeah. know, he got pissed off at the parents oh. at one time. He was no, just listen, like, hey. "I've said that to people. I've said, listen, you need to realize that like Jesus literally said, it would be better if somebody wrapped a noose around your neck and tied it to a five hundred pound stone and threw it in the ocean and drown you in f- six hundred feet of water than for you to do this." Like he literally said that, and yeah. he was dead serious, uh, right? And I, yeah, yeah and, and, and that now. isn't like cutting the breasts off of a young person that's like just leading one astray right and so like if you lead them astray right. by cutting up their bodies and removing their genitals and and like sterilizing them like i just can't imagine what yeah. what he would say about that you know um so okay but i do want to i do want to say about this okay so one of the things i found really interesting with jordan peterson all, going all the way back to when he testified in front of parliament in canada where there was this law that was going to force him to say she to a trans person by law. And he's like, listen, I'm not, he's like, they they said, so he's like, they said to him, will you not do that? And he said, he said, I'm not saying I won't do it. 
He's saying, I'm certainly not going to do it because the government tells me I have yeah. to do it. Right. And then somebody yeah. asked him like in other interviews. So if somebody, if a trans person comes into your class, you know that they're yeah. physiologically male, they have a wig on, they're in a dress, they are seeking to pass mm -hmm. as a female. Would you say her? And he said, I think I would, as long as I knew they weren't trying to force a manipulation on yeah. me, I would do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I remember yeah. hearing that and being like, Right. And so, so yeah. So, the, so you have this question where like, if a person is trying to embody being a woman, can't, so for example, I, at the sexuality conference a couple of years ago, there was this person that came up to me after yeah. a talk and um, it was a, it was this African-American woman. She was talking to me about some stuff and she was kind of on the left of things. And she was like acting like I wasn't sensitive enough about trans people. And while she was doing that, I noticed her wig line. And I, and I realized mm. that even though I would have thought this was a woman, this was not a woman. Right. Okay. This, this was, a, this was a male to female yeah. trans person. Right. And so if at that point, it's, and, and this person introduced him slash herself to me as let's say Sarah, right. At that point, yeah. when I see that wig line, am I obligated by Christian truth to say, what's your real name, Bill? Or just start saying he, because I know Okay. Because I know, right? Yeah. And so like – The answer, I mean, I think it is yes. You don't – you would – in no other situation or in, in no other scenario, as a Christian, are we ever supposed to promote or willingly align ourselves with sinful behavior? But for some reason when it comes to sexuality and like – and sometimes with like homosexuality and things like that, all of a sudden Christians start to be okay with – the sinful identification and we start to actually engage in it. And yeah. I, am I, am I wrong about that? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, so uh, I've struggled with this personally, like, right. So like a few, a few weeks ago, I sat down with a person who sometimes identifies as trans and sometimes doesn't. Okay. So the person yeah. who picked a gender neutral name sometimes wears a dress and carries a purse, but doesn't ask you to call the person she, right. Yeah. And sometimes, and, and this is a person who, when I first met them, they presented a, a woman's name and presented a woman's name and then like wanted me to call the person she, right? And I was like, look, I, I can't, I can't do that. Right. I can't, especially. Yeah. And so, um, so recently this person huh. said, you know, at work, um, I, you know, this is allowed. Am I allowed to say my pronouns are she? Or them. I, the person said, can I use they, them? Are, are they Christian? Yes, this or, is a professing is, Christian. I can't remember if right, you said this. This is a professing okay. Christian, right? And so this person said, um, can I say, can I say in my pronouns, he, him, they, them? And can I encourage some people to call me they, them? Is that okay? Because sometimes, I, sometimes, especially with my gender dysphoria, is really acute. Because it, but for a lot of people, it waxes and wanes how intense it, they feel it. He's like, is that okay mm -hmm. if I encourage them to say they, them to me? Cause I'm not asking them to lie or anything. Right. Um, or, or, or like in certain contexts, is she, would that ever be okay? Right. And I think this person was mm -hmm. really trying to be honest. And I said, listen, I could imagine a situation in which you and I were crystal clear that if I said to you, she, that I was engaging in what you might call a therapeutic fiction. But the only way that could possibly be ethical is if that if you and I both knew it, that it was a fiction that I was only using for to make you feel better in the moment because of something you're suffering under that isn't rational and you know that it's not rational, but it's just how you feel. 
And so I'm going along with it, but you and I are both out in the open that this is not true, literally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, would, would you, I said, I could see that, but here's the thing. I couldn't do it out in the church with 60 people around because they're not all in on the therapeutic fiction. They would think it is nonfiction. Right. And this person was like, I understand that. And then, and then they said, what about a small group? So if in a small group, I said, when I ask you to call me, she, I recognize that we're not referring to my biological sex and that this is a therapeutic fiction. You're only doing it as an act of hospitality, but that I am not a woman. And if that group of people was static and everybody was in on the joke, so to speak, could that be ethical? And I was like, well, then you're just changing word symbols. Because everybody's agreed on yeah. what the truth is, right? So I said, so I said to that person, I said, listen, I think you can use they, them as long as you're not vindictive. If somebody calls you he, I don't think you can take any kind of action against them. And I think if this company does that, you should try to thwart it, right? Sure. So I don't think you can be a bully about it. But if somebody voluntarily feels like they can do that, then I'm not against it. I don't think I would, I'll, I would tell you no. But I would say, I also think that you want to move towards as a person following Jesus increasingly congruent language in reference to yourself to grow more comfortable with yeah. he, him, you know, and being referred to as a man. See for this person growing up in a highly fundamental, so this goes back to your thing that ruins people, right? Grew up in a highly fundamentalist context in which man had only met one thing. Mm-hmm. He was not that yeah. thing. And so whenever right. anybody says he, him, man, it triggers this, his whole childhood Right. Of like man right. only means one thing and I'm not that. You know? Okay. But Nick, this is, this is my issue with all this therapeutic, psychological, whatever that, that high point does a lot. And I'm fine with it a lot, a lot of times. I like it sometimes. Sometimes I'm really, and lately I've had, had more strong opinions towards the th- therapeutic approaches to healing and, and whatever, because in, in a scenario like that, you're still actively forsaking the objective truth for the sake of a uh, hypothetical healing that could potentially maybe happen in um, that could potentially maybe happen with this person. And, you know, if you were in that conversation with, with this person and they said, and it was just you and them and they said, Hey, and, or maybe it was a person beforehand, the one who you saw the wig line on, Let's say you're in a conversation with somebody similar to that, one-on-one, and you found out as a pastor halfway through the conversation that this person was a thief who had stolen something from somebody else. You wouldn't have a internal battle about what to say. I mean, you would just be like, "Look, you have to give that thing back, and you have to come clean with that, that you stole this to who that you stole to whoever you stole it from, right?" Like, there wouldn't be an internal battle of like, ah, like. How do I how do I say this or what do I do about this? The only place that that happens right now with Christians is within the conversation of sexuality, of course, because that's one of the most foundational doctrines of the Bible. When you can mm-hmm. unravel sexuality, you can kind of unravel everything else. Yeah. I just don't think that a therapeutic response or a actual healing response to somebody who's struggling with gender dysphoria is to play into their dysphoria in any way, shape, or form no matter how crazy they go. And I would say that the same about any type of sin. I think you have to draw the line somewhere, right? And just say, hey, I'm not going to cross this line, no matter how much you want to, you'll hate me for this or how much 
you're going to walk away from the church. I have to, we have to, Christians, don't we have to draw the line somewhere? Yeah. Is that, is yeah, that but kind like, of like, part of this know. is the distinction between orientation and action, right? So like you wouldn't say to an anorexic person that they're, they're, they are sinning when they have an internal desire not to eat or they think that they're fat when they're not fat. You'd say, when you'd say you are, you're yeah. sinning when you actually choose to starve yourself. Exactly. When you choose right. not to eat, or if you're bulimic, when you choose to eat and throw up to starve yourself, that is the act of sin where you're sinning against your body. The fact that you see yourself in a distorted way is a brokenness that we need to address. And we shouldn't address by it's lying. A lie. Well, uh, I mean, okay. If, if, okay, if, so if the, the woman's perception is that she's fat when she's starving herself to death, that, I don't think that's a lie. I think that's a distortion. For us to say, no, you're right, you're fat. I'm really sorry about that. That's a lie. Right? So we want to try to undistort the perception that that person has. And, but we, Do you really think that that's a distortion? If a, if a woman is starving herself to death and she thinks she's fat, I think she has a distorted view. Yeah. She, she's distorted. Her distorted view, though, is, is, is a lie. So yeah, regardless, it, it, like, it, it that could be an unconscious lie. lie. Right. So if she says, no, I really am skinny. So I, like one of the, you're right that I think one of the first steps to help somebody with anorexia is for them to recognize that their perception is in fact false. The idea that they think that they're fat, even though they feel it so strongly, it's not true. They're not fat. And if yeah. you say, yeah. okay, well, we, what are we going to do about this fatness that you're struggling with? You actually can't help them. Right. Look, I agree. I totally agree with that. I mm -hmm. totally agree with that. However, I don't think that just naming and undermining the lie is the full work of healing. No, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. And I don't want to get a mistaken that that's what I believe because yeah. I don't. But I do believe in any sort of conflict or in any sort of situation that involves sin – uh, the first line of order always has to be to find common ground in the truth. If you yeah. can't, if, if these two people or if the people in conflict or, or the people in sin, if they can't find the, if, if, if everybody in the room can't come to an agreement on the objective foundational truth, you're not going to ever get anywhere. I, I mean, you're, that's just, I think I, I think I, I agree with what you mean by that. I disagree with that, literally speaking, but I, I agree with what you mean, but I think you mean by that, which is like, you can't pussyfoot around that. You can't like pretend. So like, I think conceptually speaking, I think that's a hundred percent true. I think, yeah. I, though, I think there are numerous situations where the first thing that has to happen is the person needs, needs for most actual human beings is they need to feel like they're going to be treated fairly. They're, so safe, I think is a word that gets thrown around, but they need to believe that they're going to be, yeah. be treated fairly and not inordinately attacked, and they have to believe that you really care about them and you care about their well-being. Sure, sure, sure. I think sure. then, yeah. yes. Once their emotions are the fire of their emotions are, <clears throat> is like cooled a little bit, then I think they're in a place where they can talk about the truth more easily. And so, like I, so and also, there have been people where I have not one hundred percent agreed on the truth with them, but I feel like by caring for them and helping them move closer to the truth. They took positive directions, steps in their mm -hmm. their life with God, and over what well, what happens over time sometimes is it begins to go create a process of healing in their perceptions, so mm -hmm. that they can accept the next truth that's even harder. 
Do you think that there's a distinction? I've wondered about this. I don't have an answer. I don't really know what I think about this, but I've wondered, is there a distinction between the, um, I agree with what you're saying about coming a little bit closer to the truth can be a, like, it can God can use that and be a form of healing and things like that mm-hmm. for, for disputes um, around the truth. If you and I disagree on something uh, doctrinally, maybe, maybe it's, um, maybe if you, you and I disagree on like, uh, hell or the, the length of hell, or mm-hmm. we actually don't disagree with you on it anymore, but let's say that mm-hmm. we do. And if you kind of try to bring me towards the truth over a long period of time, there can be some healing done in, in my doctrinal understanding of hell, maybe bringing me to the actual mm-hmm. truth. There seems to be some differentiation between something like that. And then something that's so foundational as male as sexual as male female biology sexual ethics like there yeah. there's something there seems to be tears here like there has to be some sort of tears like there's tier one these things are untouchable they're absolutely true all the time they've never not been yeah. true and i would i would say that gender um and, and or sex and gender and sexual ethics in the bible are in tier one i'd say like tier three is like the length of hell and things like we don't we're not going to totally know that absolutely mm-hmm. or like what it's going to be like and there's 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 room for doctrinal disagreement there, and I'm I'm not saying I, at I'm least, the ultimate. At least we tend to think there is room for doctrinal disagreement. The Bible doesn't anywhere yeah, say right. that. We could totally yeah. we could be wrong. Yeah. What counts <laughs> as Romans fourteen disputable matters isn't actually outlined anywhere as disputable yeah. matters. Right. It's frustrating. Like we know genealogies um, are disputable matters, but that we don't tend yeah. to argue about that stuff. No, we don't. We don't. But do you think that there? Do you, if if you had to say. Because this is what I run into with different, just in thinking about this. Would would you say that the sexual ethics are a? Would you consider this to be like a pretty hardcore foundational tier one topic? Yeah, I do, and and I th- I think encouragingly, Preston Sprinkle does too, right? Like like his yeah. whole ministry has yeah. been rooted on his rejection of um, activistic, revisionistic, progressivist deconstructionist mm-hmm. liberal theology that that's wrong yeah and yeah. yet he has he wants to win over gay people and gay sympathizing people right and trans people yeah. trans sympathizing people and i think that mm-hmm. i do agree with him that the message and tactic of reaching people who have been affected by the indoctrination is different than stopping the indoctrinators do, do and and um, and it's maybe I'm wrong in interpreting what you just said, but does that mean that you're more sympathetic towards the methods of being, uh, k- kind of like his method of being a little bit more open and more conversational and more, Hey, let's, ha- let's talk about this rather than, um, maybe like the Matt Walsh or the, the more, uh, more, more me like people who just want to say, no, 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 this is what it is. And this is how it should be. Is that what you're saying? I don't. I know. I, th- I mean, I, I like both people like I, to me, to me, it's oh, not a yeah. either or it's me. It's like, you have to have the Matt Walsh and the Jordan Peterson and, and the, the you know, those kind of people to, to like say the emperor has no clothes. Like this is totally wrong because I mean, this goes back to, I mean, I hate, we hate to bring everything back to like CRT and um, like critical theory and stuff like that. But like, this is the yeah. whole idea behind Marxism, right? That like a certain mm. portion of the people get passionate about change they're the revolutionaries. They are going to push. And then somebody's going to say, wait, we don't want this. They label those people, quote, the reactionaries. 
right? Mm-hmm. It is true that without the reactionaries, the revolutionists just roll over everybody. Mm-hmm. So somebody has to be the reactionary if the revolutionist yeah. is wrong and say no. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> and it has right. to they have to do it in the in the revolutionaries are bullies. They yeah. are bullies without conscience, oftentimes, especially the people at the point of yeah. the spear. And so you have to stand those people in the face and say, listen, I'll fight to the death and I'm not going to give you a single inch. And if you don't treat yeah. those people that way, they don't respect you. They're not listening to you. Right. But if you treat the average trans confused 13 year old that way, you're mm-hmm. not going to get anywhere. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the problem so this is, is where the this problem is, is, is that people are going to send that 13 year old clips of you standing up to the bully. And that's where this thing becomes fraught. Or they're going to send clips of you talking to the 13 year old and they're going to put out in public in front of the, the people who are the bullies who are going to use it to their advantage. And that's the thing you just can't stop. And I just think that that's the collateral damage of the reality we live in. Like the, I think See, the firebrands have to be firebrands and I think that the pastors have to be pastors and some people are going to be kind of in between, right. which is what I imagine I am. But yeah. I think expecting people to be the perfect mean between those two things is impossible. Nobody can actually right. do that, especially when the, the rules are changing every 20 minutes and our knowledge of this is changing really rapidly. You could say the person who did it was Jesus. Yeah, but they, they <laughs> I mean, that might be the only killed one. killed him. Yeah. You know, like. Right. Yeah. I mean, there were times where neither the elites nor the people liked Jesus. And there were times where the people liked him and the elites didn't. And the elites, yeah. And vice versa. Okay. We we can end this, but I I just want to say that I completely, totally disagree with you on that point. And I think that people should read Abigail Schreier's book. I don't think we disagree. Oh, go ahead. I don't think you and I disagree. Oh, no, no. I just, here, let me explain why I think I disagree with you. And maybe you can tell me that I'm not thinking correctly about this. Young people, teenagers, Gen Zers, my generation, I, I have reached a point and, and, and thinking about this a lot and being in relationship with a lot of Gen Zers and knowing them and the ins and outs of our generation, they do not need another conversation about this type of thing. They don't need to, somebody to sit down and be like, hey, let me really hear your story. That's not what their desire is. This is a generation, and Abigail Schreier, I'm going to paraphrase what she talked about this in her book. Uh, she has a book called Irreversible Damage, and it's the, it's called like the transgender craze seducing our daughters. It's I think a it's a wonderful book, book. And, and I think anybody in this, yeah. in this area needs to know, at least understand the content in that book. Yeah, it's, it's a great one. Uh, Andrea read it, and her and I have talked through it. Because there are a of number it, but... of different dysphorias about gender and very few of them are truly gender dysphoria, the clinical category, especially among young girls. Yes. Yeah. This is focused on, focused on young women, but one point that she makes somewhere in the book and I'm paraphrasing is that part of being a young person, being a, a kid, somebody under 18 years old and even maybe under 25 is the desire to rebel against your parents. At some point, every teenager, every kid, they want to rebel against their parents because that's just built into our sin nature or something, you know, and, and that's what they want. And what they found with Gen Zers and, and some millennials is that the parent child relationship has become more a friendship relationship in the last, you know, 50 years or whatever, than it has an actual authoritative hierarchy, hierarchical relationship yeah. that whenever the kid tries to rebel against their parents, they go like smoke a cigarette or they go like drink like 50, 60 years ago, the parents would get be like, no, you can't do that. That's mm-hmm. wrong. Now the parents are like drinking and smoking with the kids and they're affirming every single thing the kid tries to do that is rebelling against their parents. The parents just affirm it. 
And so they, they, they keep pu- pushing it one step further, one step further, one step further. And now kids are saying, Hey, I want to be the opposite gender. Yeah. Probably subconsciously deep down, hoping that their parents finally say, no, you can't do that. That's wrong. And I love you too much for you to make a mistake like that. But their parents aren't doing that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the answer is for Christians who can play that role as a a loving parent to sit down and have a conversation with, hey, why do you want to be? No, I think the kids, I think my generation just wants to hear somebody love them enough to say, no, you can't do that. I love you, but you cannot do that. It's going to ruin your life. And that's why I I think I'm disagreeing with you. Maybe I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah. I mean, I I don't don't know. I don't see what's wrong with that. I mean, I. I, I, and I don't, I, I think, I think Sprinkle agrees with that. I mean, I think he was like, look, I'm, I'm mm. against all medicalization of minors relative to this. They can't make these decisions yet. I have teenagers in my house. They can't be making this kind of decision. You know, 13, 14, 15 year olds can't be making decisions about whether or not they'll have wanted to be sterilized through their childbearing years and into their sixties when they could have grandchildren. Like that's just not okay. And I, and here's the thing. I think that when Sprinkle says that, yeah. I think certain people listen to him more than they listen to Matt Walsh because Sprinkle is trying to be so careful on all the details and know the conversation and really immerse himself in it. So when he says no, that really matters a lot. I think so. Like one of the areas where I think Sprinkle is really helpful is he's like one of the things we need to we need to worry about with our with these daughters of ours who are concerned about their gender and so on. He's like, we have to figure out what is wrong. Because if they're like, I yeah. think I may be a man, something is wrong, yeah. right? And she, he said, one of the, he said, what is it? One of the examples he gave was internalized misogyny, which conservative people tend to be like, oh, that's just that feminist stupid crap. But like, what he means by that yeah. is, yeah. what he means by that is, is that they have been treated by men in such a way as that they have begun to hate men. Whether that is the oh. male authority figures in their life or their churches or whatever, or the men that they date when they in their first year of college or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Andy, man, I see this everywhere. I know. I right? know. Yeah. And then, I think it's legit. And then yeah. like um objectified and there's a certain kind of objectification of female embodiedness mm-hmm. that is really strong yeah. too. And if you put objectified totally. female embodiedness together with internalized misogyny in a young woman. That's going to look a lot like gender dysphoria and it's not. Um, And so like, and so sprinkles trying to work through, look, if we're going to tell these women, it's not gender dysphoria, what is it? And what healing is there and what needs to happen? Like, yeah, I've been ministering to a 19 year old young woman who has, who walked away from the church, thought she was bisexual, was questioning her gender a little bit, and then realized that this internalized misogyny and body hatred was what was going on with her. It had nothing to do with her being a woman. It had to do that she was chubby when she was a girl and people treated her like crap. And then when she got pretty, and when she was 17 or 18, she started getting mistreated by men who just wanted to get their hands on her and didn't care about her as a person or anything like that. And so she began to, and then she found some like helpful relationships with women. Some of those women were lesbians. And then it's like, well, maybe then maybe I'm bisexual. Maybe I'm yeah. Which just right. makes perfect sense. And if and if we don't have – if we just yeah. say that gay stuff is crap and we don't actually like no, try yeah. to figure out what the cultural contagion is here, what the cultural yeah. disease is and what the cultural trauma yeah. factory that this yeah. worldliness has created, if we can't name it and teach about it and show it. And that only works if we yeah. take Sprinkle's approach in the sense that we get real curious. We try to figure out how does this actually work? What's going on with these young women? 
And so what she, I think Stryer did that too. I think she was a good example of somebody who like really tried to look into it, but was very bold about yeah. what she said. Yeah. I like Walsh. I just think he's, he's erring out a little bit more on the like, look, somebody's got to hit this thing right in the nose. And I think that that has a lot yeah. to do with his temperament. And yeah. I appreciate that about yeah, him. Yeah. 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 And I'm not saying, and I'm not saying that there's not a deep, like that the kids don't necessarily need uh, a, a deeper answer, a deeper conversation. I'm saying that, that, that somebody needs to say no. And the, 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 the conversation around why somebody feels gender dysphoria or why, why somebody feels like they're the opposite of what they actually are. Um, that's not the conversation that kids need to have. Generally speaking for my generation, I think the conversation that the church is trying to be had with these younger people is, uh, when were you, and it's to your point that you were saying and, and what Preston's saying as well, when were you hurt by your parents or like, when were you hurt by, by older authoritative men and, and women in your life? And what needs to happen, I think at the core of all of this is there needs to be a repentance from the older generations and they need to ask forgiveness of the younger generations of the ways that they've hurt them. And I'm saying this generally, I think that parents... And I, I don't know how hard that is for a parent because I'm not a parent yet because a lot of parents, I, I remember one time you said to Andrew and I, it's like, it's really difficult to look at your kid and not be really frustrated with them when you've given them everything and they kind of, you know, give you the middle finger mm -hmm. and walk away. So there's, there's a give and take, but I think the old generations have the responsibility to take the first step in, um, in, uh, there's a word that, that is reconciliation, not redemption, reconciliation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and take the first step in reconciliation and, and ask for forgiveness from their kids in the ways that they hurt yeah. them. And I think that that's going to, I don't think theorizing about all of the gender and homosexual and all that stuff. Like, like a lot of times people move into those areas because their, their parents sucked and their parents just didn't treat it. Like didn't treat them like human beings and didn't care about them and didn't, didn't like try to cultivate their personality that God gave them and the young people rebel in that way. And okay. I think that the conversation needs to be more around. Yeah, yeah, listen, so I generally, I agree that what you're saying has merit in the sense that at some point, if you're saying this trans stuff is going in the wrong, wrong direction, <clears throat> there's another, there are other options like what you said. I think that's true. Mm -hmm. But what a lot of people are going to need is a, is a, deeper level of analysis on what are the other things. So for example, I got an email from a counselor the other day that said, mm -hmm. I, I, so one of my colleagues was counseling a guy who wanted to stop looking at porn because his wife wanted him to stop uh -huh. looking at porn. And our colleagues were discussing this and they basically said the wife was the problem. She was making the relationship toxic and she was the person who needed to be addressed. Right. And this person was like, I feel like my colleagues might be fools. Right. Well, yeah. And so, but like, here's the thing, like, okay. But, but then she said, see, I think what's happened here is, is that this is like flipping the switch on misogyny, how like men have been in charge and now like they think they, they need not to be in charge. I was like, that's not the, the reason. The reason is that they have traded a classical and teleological understanding of the human person for an expressive individualist transhuman view of the person, which allows them to fully yeah. objectify women and sex and to not therefore see mm -hmm. pornography as inherently problematic than to think that utilizing yeah. it in a person's sexuality is healthy. Therefore, a couple using it together, even though it humiliates and objectifies the actual concrete wife and humiliates and objectifies <laughs> the objectified woman in the pornography. Like they don't see any of that because they have, mm -hmm. but like if this woman mm -hmm. and this woman's like, I need to understand that a hundred times better. And she was right. Mm 
Because if she's going to speak up in that counseling office with all of her colleagues and say, you yeah. guys are totally wrong about this, she is going to have to like, she, she has to be like, dead yeah. on. And this is why everybody who yeah. watches the daily wire respects, um, Ben, ben Shapiro more than Shapiro. everybody else. Cause he's yeah. like, he's all, yeah. he always is dead on yeah. the issue and has read the relevant thing, knows yeah. the relevant statistic and, and can yeah. articulate it in a clear, simple sure. way. And like, so yeah. like I, if I'm going to be Matt Walsh, mm-hmm. I want to be a Matt Walsh in a Ben Shapiro kind of way. And the problem yeah. is, is that most of us, we don't have the minds, the temperaments or the time to do that. And so I, as a yeah. pastor have to speak when I do about this stuff, this is like, the 57th thing that I do. And it's only the fourth yeah. thing that Ben Shapiro does. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, it's funny that you said that about Ben Shapiro. Cause I was going to say, I don't want it to come off in this podcast. Like I totally agree with, with Walsh's way of doing things and totally disagree yeah. with Preston's. Cause I don't think that's true. I, 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 I don't find Matt's show or his YouTube videos watchable personally. Oh yeah. I don't I watch don't- it. I don't like it. Yeah. Whereas I, I like listening to Ben Shapiro's because he's going to drop Same. facts. He's like going to say facts. Yep. He's going to quote studies and he's going to yep. show me the logic. And I feel yep. like yep. when, um, when I'm, yeah. And he's been doing it recently in a more nicer yeah. way. His tone has gotten better. Yeah, yeah. I think that's true. Yeah. So yeah. So anyway, I, yeah. yeah. So anyway, I, I like, I like yeah. Walsh. I think that the documentary was great. I think it was a great thing to do. I think it was like a, Hey, this is weird. And I think that was worth doing. Yeah. And I think it's now an artifact that people can interact with. I, I like yeah. Sprinkle. He's actually gonna be here in Madison and not too long. I'm going to go to a seminar he's going to do here. I liked the podcast. Mm. I thought he, I mean, I thought if you understand in the second half that he's yeah. not critiquing really the documentary, He's critiquing what the watcher of the documentary might do with what they thought they learned whilst watching it. Then I think yeah. that makes sense. And you're like, okay, I can see what you're saying there because he, I think he bent over backwards to affirm the documentary. Um, yeah. So I would just say to our listeners, if you haven't watched the documentary, yeah. I think it's worth watching. I think Walsh's Watch stuff it, is yeah. worth watching there. I think, and I think Preston Sprinkles um, episode uh, 985 on theology and the rods worth listening to. I'll put it in the description. I'll put yeah, it and I think also, I think I think if you want to know more about this scientifically and informationally, I think Sprinkle is a pretty decent person to listen to. He's going to be kind of on the left of evangelical, but he's going to be evangelical. He's going to believe in the Bible and believe in the gospel and believe that Jesus is the authority, not the culture. And then he's going to, yeah. from there, grapple with contextualizing with the culture, which is, I think, truthful. You might have to listen to some people to the yeah. quote theological quote right of him too, but I, Sprinkle's, Sprinkles will be pretty good. And he'll help you engage yeah, with neighbors gonna, and coworkers in a positive way. I'm going to reach out to him, see if he will come on the podcast. You can't. You can't. He's he very will. expensive because he he has he's so he occupies such a narrow spot that everybody wants him. He's like ten thousand dollars a day for seminars. Holy crap! All right, well then he's not probably going to come on. Our podcast. That's last I knew. Yeah, <laughs> he's like very expensive, and okay. I bet it's more now because the trans thing is even more terrifying than the yeah. gay stuff he was doing. So I, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if it's like more like 20. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's yeah. so much. Um, but at the same, but at the same also, time, man, like the human capital he has accumulated in, in like not just studying this in a scholarly way, but the mm-hmm. time he spends sitting down with LGBTQ people and literally talking with them yeah. is just like he has made himself that special. So I don't really begrudge him the money. I just can't pay it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm not mad that he's trying to make money. That's you got to do what you got to yeah. do. Um, but also if, if you're looking for uh, maybe a uh, less Christian t- 
take on this, I would read The Irreversible Damage Abigail by Schreier, Abigail yeah. Schreier. Yeah, and, Spr- um, also and Sprinkled... Her interview with Rogan was yes, good, I agree. Too. Yeah, did I didn't hear that, but I, she's been good on every interview I've seen. But then also, um, yeah. there is... Um, uh, Sprinkle's book uh, Embodied is also his sh- book length treatment on trans stuff. Yeah, people should check that out. We do need to close this out because we're like an hour and 20 minutes in. So I'm going to close this out real quickly. Um, if you like this podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, share this with your friends. Give us a five star rating and leave us a good review. And we'll see you guys in the next one. Goodbye. Goodbye.